I don't know if they're ready for our energy today, fellas. Everybody all right? Everybody straight? Let's eat. Family on three. One, two, three. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Friartown Fan Voice Podcast. I'm Mike Hopkins, the founder of PCBB1917.com. And I want to welcome you to our final preseason podcast for the 2016-17 season. It's here. We made it. It's November 11th. Happy Veterans Day to all the people who have served our country. Uh, very important day to remember all the people who have died, given their lives uh, in service of us uh, so that we could be here doing a podcast uh, on a random Friday morning. Um, so happy Veterans Day again to everybody out there. Uh, this episode is largely focused on previewing Providence's season opener on Monday night at the Dunkin' Donuts Center against the Vermont Catamounts. To that end, we uh, we had uh, a special guest join us. Uh, that would be Alex Abrami of the Burlington Free Press. Uh, he, he was interviewed uh, earlier this morning. We're going to have that uh, in a minute. Uh, Brendan McGare is back. Uh, he helped me out doing the interview, and then we had a discussion after the interview kind of about uh, Providence, the current state of the team, how Monday night uh, could go, and some of the concerns with uh, injuries going forward that may uh, may not bear out. They might bear out. It's sort of an unknown like everything else this year. Um, so we, we sort of got a little bit of that. Uh, and then we finished up with some recruiting news, obviously with early signing day. Uh, November signing period uh, began on the 9th, and Providence had both of their 2017 commits uh, signed on the dotted line on the first day, so that was uh, had to be a nice feeling for Ed Cooley to get that without any additional suspense to get those signatures in. Uh, so we kind of finished up with that, and uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's some good insights from Alex Abrami, I thought. He, he knows the team well. Vermont off 23 wins and another CBI appearance. They have eight straight seasons of 20 wins as a program. The current head coach, John Becker, has five of those. Uh, he's All five years he's been the head coach, they have 20 or more wins. Uh, one one key stat to know uh, is that last season, Catamounts were a top 33-point shooting team. They were actually 30th uh, on Ken Palm. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Providence has, has struggled a little bit in that regard, giving up the three ball. Obviously, we saw... Connor Wood kind of go off in the first half of that exhibition game from beyond the arc. So that's something to keep an eye on. Largely, everyone back for the most part. Uh, I think they have four of their five starters back. And they have some talented freshmen and a couple of talented transfers from Tulane that are going to be in the mix after they sat out last year. Um, so without further ado, here is Alex, Brendan, and I talking about Providence and Vermont on Monday. All right, let's get started. Uh, we have Alex Abrami with us from the Burlington Free Press. He covers the Vermont men's basketball team. Thanks, Alex, for joining us this morning. Oh, thank you for having me. And also have Brendan McGare back from the Pawtucket Times. We'll do a little bit of a uh, roundtable here with the three of us about Providence and Vermont on Monday. Uh, Alex, why don't you lead us off a little bit, talk a little bit about the Vermont team. They have most of the team back off their 23-win season coming uh, off a uh, another CBI appearance, I believe. Uh, so just give us a little bit about who's back and who Providence fans should look for on Monday. Yeah, um, UVM, like you said, they went 23-14. and 14. They reached the uh, CBI semifinals uh, after they lost uh, a crushing loss in the American East Championship game at Stony Brook. Uh, it was their eighth straight season of at least 20 wins and playing in a postseason tournament, whether it's the NCAAs, the NITs, or the, the CBI. Um, and 
there's a lot of promise uh, for the Catamounts this year because they only they lost uh, their big leader Ethan O'Day, uh, but they returned pretty much everyone else, and um, especially in the backcourt when you have uh, Trey Bell Haynes, Ernie Duncan, Kurt Steidel, Dre Wills, Cam Ward coming off the bench to add some offense. Uh, they're very explosive. They can they can hit threes. They can do a lot of different things. And then in the front court, which was an issue, even though Ethan O'Day's a was a forward. Uh, they were they were lacking a, a true four last year, and lack, lacking enough depth uh, to bang with pl- teams like Stony Brook or Albany in the conference, and then even even outside the conference as well. But now they they have a couple guys that were transfers last year. Now they're eligible from Tulane: uh, Peyton Henson and Josh Hurley. Uh, they they bring a couple different um, games to the table. Peyton H- Henson can score, uh, from what I'm told, at three. Uh, three levels inside outside. He has a mid range game. Can can shoot the three. Uh, Hurley, he is more of a, a versatile player. He's, he's kind of like the glue guy. He can he can at six eight he can play point guard and he can he can play the four. They have this freshman out of Rochester, New York, Anthony Lamb, who they're very high on. He he may even start uh, tomorrow when they go to Quinnipiac for the season opener. Darren Payne is back uh, for his second year after transferring two years ago. And Drew Urquhart, um, a junior out of Canada, he's I think he, he's bulked up a little bit in the off season, and they expect a lot out of him uh, from the five spot. So there's a lot of optimism here in Burlington for a big season. They're, they're pick number one uh, in the America East poll. Uh, so much talent back. It's almost like the, you know, this is the year for them to break through after a few seasons of falling just short in the league tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's five straight years for John Becker with 20 or more wins. Uh, and then for the program as a whole, eight straight years of 20 wins and eight straight postseason tournaments. So, yeah, I feel like they're probably itching to get to the big tournament this year with everybody that's back. And some of these transfers, the Hurley kid I was reading about, I read your article from the other day, uh, seems like a really, uh, like a kind of a funny guy, sort of loose, brings the team together, even as kind of a new, a newer player only being here for a year so far. Yeah, I think he's a little more lighthearted, kind of, uh, make, make sure the team doesn't take things too seriously as one of the players was telling me. He's a little bit like another player on the team, Dre Wills, who's a senior. He's kind of like that. They're both very competitive. They, they want to win. They want to win every drill and practice and stuff like that, but they like to keep it loose. So things aren't, you know, taken too seriously. And, you know, Josh, um, being, obviously being here last year as a transfer, he was able to practice every day and, and get to know the team and, uh, and it gets to show off what he can do in practice, and now it's kind of translating that into the uh, on the court in real games. And that's where, you know, it may take some time for, like, Peyton and Josh just to get at, reacclimated to basketball because they've been away from it for over a year. Uh, and, and maybe that was – with the exhibitions the previous two weekends, maybe that does help. But it, it may – they may have a – you know, wouldn't be surprised if they have a bit of a slow start just, just to get things um, – just to get their feet under them again. Brendan, you have anything? Yeah, Alex, if you don't mind me uh, chiming in, just uh, you know, talk about Vermont's uh, front court. I mean, if there's maybe anything that could be a question mark, is it that area or? Uh, it's tough because like, cause they they bring back like ten or eleven guys if you count the transfers or whatever. Um, I, I guess that would be the spot because it's, they're unproven. Uh, yeah, Peyton Henson had some success at Tulane in the American Conference. Um, he had a really good stretch in his final 10 games as a sophomore. 
uh, against, you know, better comp- for the most part, better competition. But for, for a lot of reasons, yeah, they don't have that, that senior leadership of Ethan O'Day last year who really played well down the stretch and, and, and in some ways carried them to the America, America East championship game. So I would say that that inexperience of, of, um, playing at this level, you know, Anthony Lamb is a great talent. Um, he's, he's going to be really good, but he's only a freshman. Um, Drew Alcard is in his junior year, and he hasn't really been given the chance to shine yet because he's been kind of, you know, waiting in the wings a little bit. So, yeah, I, I would say the inexperience in the front court, but I think that will, will quickly absolve itself because uh, they're too talented. Uh, they, at least, in you know, they may have a tough go in the non-conference because they have a pretty tough non-conference schedule, but they are the most, they look, they appear to be the most talented team in the, in America East coming back. And then the front court is, is, is uh, very experienced, you know. Trevor Haynes has, has pretty much run the point since he got here as a freshman. Ernie Duncan is now a, a redshirt sophomore in his second year and has played real, played really well last year. One of their better freshmen in a long, long time. Probably, you might know him, um, probably a form, not since former Glenn have they um, have they had a freshman who scored that well. And Chris Steidl is one, one of the program's best three-point shooters of all time. So they they – if you want to tip it to like their their backcourt being their their most impressive, then yeah. But I, I think they're pretty well rounded this year. Obviously, they have to go through uh, Quinnipiac first before they come to the Dunkin' Donuts Center on Monday night. But uh, have they talked about you know obviously the first couple games up there, what they're expecting? Uh, you know, obviously other than playing three straight games on the road here in, in three different states. Yeah, it's not nothing. I haven't really talked to them closely about that yet. Uh, I also work with. Uh, high school scene so we're wrapping up championships um so i haven't seen them as much as i would like but um this is nothing unusual for the uvm program they they hit the road early in the non-conference um kind of test with their challenge themselves early and then um they work their way back to to patrick jim here in burlington but i yeah that's a that's a tough stretch where you've got to go to at quinnipiac and at providence and you work your way across to uh, to Marist and Poughkeepsie, but um, I think they're up for the challenge. I know Providence, um, bit of a, I don't I don't know if it's unfair to say unknown because they lost some key guys, Chris Dunn, of course, but uh, it sounds like they're still very talented. Sorry about that. I got caught on mute for a second. Oh. Um, uh, the other thing just wanted to touch on a little bit is the the style of play. Like what what I, I noticed the scoring last year was very balanced. Everybody kind of around eleven, twelve points. Um, did they play a little bit of an unselfish style of basketball? Is it up tempo? Is it slow? What's their style of play? Uh, it's like a it's a ball screen motion. Um, the, for many years, or not many years, but I guess when Becker first Becker was an assistant coach under Mike Lonergan for uh, many years or four or five years, and then took over the program and they were running that, that flex for a while. And then uh, towards the end of their, uh, w- one of their senior, senior class runs in 2013, 2014, after that year, they've kind of transitioned. Well, they were transitioning already, but they were moving to more of a ball screen uh, motion offense. Uh, and that was how they recruited some of these guys from the Midwest, uh, Indiana and, and places like that, because it appealed to, to younger players. And, um, and to answer your question about the balanced offense, I think that's that's always been a staple in, in UVM's um, philosophy. Is they never want to have one guy take take on the take on that responsibility over the course of the season. Yeah, from any different night, it could be 
it could be Cam Ward coming off the bench like he did so many times last year and, and go off for, you know, four or five threes and score 20 points and be the big guy for the night. And then the next night he may only score four or five. And that, and that was okay for, for the, for the team because there was always someone else uh, on any given night um, leading the team. And I think they like it that way because they'd rather have multiple options and they're, they're tougher to defend that way. I know you kind of already touched on this a little bit, but it, it looks to me like they don't have necessarily the biggest front court, but when you look across their entire roster, they seem to have pretty good size for the for most of the other positions, kind of like Providence had seen last year where Bentel was the center, not too tall. But then you have a six foot four point guard in Chris Dunn, and you have six seven, six eight wing players everywhere. It looks like that's sort of the, the roster that, that uh, Vermont has put together for this season. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, I mean, their tallest guy might be um, uh, might be Urquhart, or there, there might be a couple right at six eight or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I, for the most part, America East doesn't have like that big size, like that seven footer or, or or whatever. So um, that's the type of ta- that's the type of player they get at UVM, and I think they're fine with it. I think they're they're big enough, at least in the conference. They're going to have to use their depth to take on teams outside the conference um, and kind of. Um, manage the minutes that way, spread them out, and not get into foul trouble too quickly. But uh, I think they they like their, their roster composition. The last year was certainly, as I mentioned, was kind of um, was kind of short shorthanded in terms of not having that true four. But now they feel like they have a, a, a whole roster now and they can move forward and, and really go after a, uh, a league title. I was one more question from me, yeah. uh, Alex. How are they managing kind of preseason expectations? You know, obviously at, at PC they were picked ninth out of uh, tenth in the uh, Big East uh, preseason coaches poll. You know, it's the opposite with uh, the Catamounts being picked first. Uh, how are they kind of managing everything, kind of with a target on their back? Uh, I, I think they're they're going to welcome it this year because uh, I don't think there's any you can't hide from it. They're they they have the most returning talent. And right behind them is New Hampshire. New Hampshire is also um, – they were picked second, and they're very good. But Starnabrook is is going through a transition with a new coach. They lost Jamil Warney, Carson Purifoy to graduation. So it, that that's a whole new project over uh, on Long Island. And then Albany, is, which has been very pesky for Vermont, especially in the in the league playoffs, they lost a nice – a very nice senior class. But they're always good. Uh, they usually pick up – a a few JUCO transfers that you, you don't, you're not really sure how good they are, and they end up being very good. So you can't really count at Albany and and uh, New Hampshire seems to be right there with UVM. But I think there's you can't really hide from the expectations. The program has always had these expectations because they've won the conference um, five times, I believe, since uh, 2002, um, uh, and. So it's always there, and but especially this year because they have so much back, uh, and everyone's looking to them as as the favorite. They lost in the title game last year after they they had a lead. Um, I think they had a, a 16 point lead or a 12 point lead in the second half, and they and they let that falter away at Stony Brook. So I think that that motivates them as well. Um, yeah, so I think they they embrace that challenge. They, they want to win, but they don't want to look too far down the road. They have to take care of business and and start to play as a team uh, as they hit their toughest part of the schedule uh, with the non-conference. So uh, that's, it, that's it for me. I, I don't know if you have a prediction you want to make for Monday. I don't know how you normally feel about predictions. I'm not I'm not too keen on them, but I figured... No, I, 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 I tell you the truth, it's tough because 
Quinnipiac has what, what they, they bring back three or four returnees. They have that Bullet kid who's their top returning scorer, I believe. Um, I don't know. I think that's a, that's a tough one to pick because I mean Quinnipiac's coming off 24 wins, the Big East program. So I I would still they're home. I would tip that to Quinnipiac. They're going to have the you know, the more talented players. It, but UVM has traditionally played the, those schools pretty tough. So I think it would be a good matchup. But I would I would lean towards the, the Friars. I do think that the the line, which won't be out yet, probably for another day or two, uh, but Ken Palm has it as an eight point spread, and that to me would be a shocking number. But uh, we'll see if that ends up coming out. But yeah. if it's if it's plus eight, I might be all over the catamount. Okay. <laughs> but I guess maybe the one thing we'll be keeping an eye on is how. Uh... You know, I guess rested or, uh, you know, maybe getting that game under the belt, how much is that kind of going to benefit uh, Vermont going into Monday night where PC, that'll be their first game home opener, you know, the jitters that go with it. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, how quickly will Vermont bounce back, but having that game of experience under their belts while PC will kind of go through this uh, season, well, obviously the season opener for, you know, the first and only time. Yeah, I think, uh, UVM will recover fine because they get a, it's a one o'clock game on Saturday. And that's not too long of a trip to get to Rhode Island, so I, I assume they get there uh, Saturday night, and then they'll have all Sunday to kind of rest up, and then all pretty much all Monday, whatever, do shoot around or, or whatever. And so I think they'll be fine. And it's, it's only going to be game two, um, so they they won't have like a long like it's not like they're finishing off a five game swing or something like that. Um, Yeah, looking forward to it Monday night. It should be a, a pretty fun opener, I think. It's going to be a tough test for Providence to have. I mean, they're, I know they're always looking for teams in a, a league like America East where they're going to try to play the, the team that they think is going to win the league, which will help their numbers aside and, and obviously help them on the court. Um, so I want to thank Alex for coming on, giving us a few minutes to talk about the game. Uh, that's Alex DeBrami, who covers uh, UVM Hoops for the Burlington Free Press. You can get him on Twitter at aabrami5. And uh, thanks for thanks for coming on. We'll see you Monday. All right, cool. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks, Alex. All right, take care. All right, so that was uh, that was a good talk with Alex, I thought, and uh, should be a, a tough challenge for the Friars on Monday. Looks like uh, per the game notes that they sent out the other day, they're going to run out the same starting five that they had against Carlton, which. I wasn't necessarily expecting that, but I, and who knows? That's just the game notes. But uh, I think that this is probably a, one of the tougher openers a, a team like Providence, with their their roster uncertainty, could could have hoped for. Well, whether you look at Vermont's roster and how much depth and firepower that's coming back from last year's team, and compare it to this Providence team, where you only have one double-digit score returning in Rodney Bullock and a lot of unknowns, guys who were former role players and, you know, the Isaiah step to the forefront and mixing in a host of newcomers, you know, it's really the element of the unknown. And, you know, we we touched upon the, the point spread a little bit. I mean, uh, as you said, if if PC is favored by, you know, X amount of points, I mean, you have to wonder, uh, you know, do you, do you take the catamounts in that situation? Not that they were uh, promoting any uh, activity along those lines, but... No, uh, entertainment, you know. It's it pure entertainment. It'll be interesting to see how Vegas kind of reacts to this. Maybe, you know, thinking, taking the Dunkin' Donuts Center into element opening night kind of thing and not really this element of the roster where, 
you know, there's a lot of unknown at this time. Yeah, I really can keep my eye on what that what that spread of money line is going to look like, just just for informational purposes only. Um, so I think that the the thing that struck me most from what Alex was saying is that they seem to feel like they have a, a guy for every role now, and that's certainly something that Providence doesn't really know if they have that. But they returned four guys who scored at least 11 points a game, and they have two transfers from Tulane, which is, I mean, you know, the American East is not necessarily a slouch of a conference, but it's a mid-major. And Tulane is coming from a little bit of a, a step up in terms of the American Athletic Conference. And uh, those guys have, at least Peyton Henson, has proven that he can play at that level. And the other kid uh, was a uh, did a prep, prep year at uh, Northfield Mount Hermon. And then, I mean, he's six foot eight and he can play one through four. So that seems pretty versatile. So I think between that and the, and what they bring back, that's going to be a big challenge for any kind of Providence, you know, momentum to, to think about who do you guard, how do you, uh, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's going to be, you're not going to open against uh, a real cupcake in, on uh, on Monday night and feel like you can go to the Dunkin' Donuts Center with a, a really calm attitude and maybe leave at halftime. I don't think that's going to be the case. No, but uh, one thing I did ask Alex about, uh, you know, the front court where you know, maybe you're a little bit suspicious about, but they have tremendous guard depth, and to the point where you think maybe they could go for guards and uh, and maybe a big kind of uh, what uh, Villanova has been known to do in the past and kind of spread the court and uh, you know pick your poison so to speak. Uh, I wonder if uh, we'll see that on Monday. It'll be interesting to see what uh, it'll be interesting to see what Vermont rolls out for a starting lineup tomorrow, and whether, uh, you know, Ed Cooley takes note of that and, you know, figures maybe he adjusts that personnel on the fly and maybe we won't see the starting lineup like we did against uh, Carlton a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm looking at the game notes now that Vermont has for Quinnipiac and they're listing their probable starters as uh, pretty much what you might expect to a certain extent, except they they are going to throw, looks like, that freshman that uh, that Alex was talking about, Anthony Lamb, the kid from Rochester, they're throwing him right into the mix. Um, he was a 30 point per game scorer as a senior in Rochester, six foot six, probably played in the wing. Uh, I'm interested to see the matchup of Trey Bell Haynes, who's kind of a real veteran point guard, junior, six foot two. I think that's going to be something to watch between Cartwright with maybe a little bit of a bulky knee and then having a guy like Malik White come in with, where he might not be really ready to defend a, a player of that caliber. Well, you mentioned, uh, Malik White and, uh, you know, the PC had media availability earlier this week, and one of the questions I asked uh, Ed Cooley was about how Malik White is coming along as a ball handler. You know, when he was a Virginia schoolboy, you know, he looked like he was kind of like that combo guard, but more of an emphasis on scoring. You know, the one thing that maybe we haven't touched upon as much as we probably should have made in the preseason so far is the lack of a true ball handler, dependable one at the Division One level, after uh, Kyra Cartwright. So obviously the the bells and the whistles that have gone off with him, uh, you know, obviously not playing the Northeastern uh, close scrimmage last weekend, you know, has that kind of accelerated maybe developing that second ball handle, whether it's uh, Malik White or Alpha Diallo, to kind of alleviate and not put as much pressure because uh, you know could be a worst case scenario. Say if uh, Cartwright is limited or can't even go. I mean, obviously we're not saying that right now that he's not playing on Monday night or anything. He is still scheduled to play. But say, you know, something reacts and he can't go later that week against Ohio State, I mean, that's kind of a nightmare scenario where maybe you're starting a, a true freshman with 
only one game under their belts and not really truly comfortable playing the point guard position. Yeah, and I think that's a legitimate fear because uh, from what we you know, I heard, of course, obviously it's a secret, the, the Northeastern scrimmage, so we're not really supposed to know anything, but the secret people told me that uh, Malik White played the majority of the minutes at the point guard with Cartwright out, and then Cooley also had Alpha Diallo and even Isaiah Jackson playing with the ball in their hands at times. And then Drew Edwards kind of mixed in, but I don't know how really healthy he's going to be in terms of being in game shape. But, yeah, I mean, it's a big concern beyond Cartwright. And even, frankly, with Cartwright, uh, he's still not necessarily a proven commodity. We know what he can do next to, next to and behind Chris Dunn for two years. But now that he's the guy, is he going to be able to actually step up into that role? So that that alone, putting that aside as a, a separate unknown, is beyond him, there's an even larger unknown. So that's definitely something that's going to be a storyline, at least for the next few weeks, until we can see that he's healthy and ready to go. Yeah, and uh, but like a lot of these guys on the this year's PC team that they were playing subservient roles a year ago, it's time for them to bottom line step up. You know, can Conrad Conrad handle 30-plus minutes a night? Can Jalen Lindsay kind of shed the maddening and inconsistent ways that, you know, one night will make him a 30-point scorer like he was at St. John's last year? Or are we going to get a couple of two- or four-point games? You know, you could have lived with those last year because Ben Bentel and Chris Dunn were such high-end talent. But now, obviously, those guys are gone. Those minutes and those uh, point production and those rebounds are going to have to be replaced. You know, can he do it? Can Ronnie Bullock take a jump? It is really his second true year of playing college basketball. He's been here. This is now his fourth year in the program, but only his second year. And, you know, can he make a big jump like maybe a Ben Bentel a year ago? Yeah, that's something that's going to probably have to happen if this team has any real hopes of, of doing anything remotely close to an NCAA tournament appearance. And... You know, but I was thinking about uh, the other day, Micah, what would PC's best starting five consist of? Maybe not, maybe down the line. And I think you maybe have to go with the two big guys, uh, Holt and, uh, and Khalif Young. Maybe, you know, you put those two guys there, given maybe the rebounding concerns that you have for this year's group. You know, you put your two bigs out there and, you know, you go with uh, maybe a Rodney Bullock at the three and the backcourt, you go Cartwright. And, but for now, because he's been here, you go with a, a Lindsay. I think, uh, you know, maybe that's the group to go with because there's, uh, at least you have some size in front and, uh, you know, some experience in the back, even if it's not the experience that, uh, you know, maybe some people would hope for. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I think that you probably will see Holt and Young play together a little bit. My only concern would be, is Khalif Young going to be able to play more than 10 minutes because he's going to get five fouls? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, he certainly, I mean, he certainly, he was certainly aggressive in the, in the uh, exhibition game. Oh, I mean, which is a good sign. It means he's engaged and, uh, you know, he's out there and I think he's only going to get better, you know, going up against them at Hulk that day in practice. But you're right. That, you know, that the downside is, you know, what happens if Emmett Hulk gets in trouble? Who do you kind of bring off the bench? I mean, uh, you know, magically, Ryan Fazekas grew an inch in the last year, it looks like. Yeah, it's so always nice when that happens. It's, uh, but I don't think he's going to be logging minutes at the five this year, five spot. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's certainly, as we kind of, the, the overall point of this whole discussion in the last few minutes is that there's so many unknowns and there's so many. That's going to be one of the most interesting things to watch over the first month of the season is all the different lineups 
and rotations that Cooley is trying to f- use to figure out what exactly they're going to be able to do and what will be their best lineup when when conference play starts because I don't think he has any idea right now, and I don't think you can really even know until you start playing the games. And I don't think you're even going to go say, you know, the Friars open up with four games in seven days. It's going to be one real, you know, going from one thing to another, especially later that week when you go, you're playing on a Thursday night, you come home, you play, I think, a noontime game on Saturday against Grambling, and then you play again that Monday, and then you go to your exempt tournament down in Florida for the Thanksgiving holiday. It's just, it's going to come so rapidly and so quick. And I think maybe we alluded to this last week. I think the biggest, you know, key early in the season is going to be the coaching staff and deciphering and really taking a hard look at seeing what works, what doesn't work, and maybe, you know, going forward with it. I mean, it's it's going to be maybe a game-by-game, game, half-by-half, maybe even a minute-by-minute series of adjustments that are going to be made. And, uh, you know, it's going to be up to the, the players, you know, who's going to, who's up with the changes, who's not, and uh, who uh, who represents the best fit. Yeah, speaking of going forward, uh, might as well just segue nice and neatly to um, some news that happened, uh, I believe it was Wednesday was the 9th, which was the first day of the early signing period, and Providence locked up their two commits. They both uh, faxed in their their letters of intent, and that's Nate Watson and Dejour Dickens, so I guess we'll talk about them for a minute. Uh, Watson was the more prized recruit, I think, in terms of uh, ranking, but Dickens being the, the the guy who popped first back in February, I think that was huge to get the class going. I, you know, I asked um, Ed Cooley the other day. You know, obviously you're going back to maybe last uh, couple springs ago when Pascal Chuku decided to leave and ultimately cha- uh, transfer to Syracuse. You know, has size kind of been a priority for this program ever since losing uh, Chuku? And you know, Cooley kind of maybe not dodged around the answer, but uh, you know, you had to know that. Uh, Going into this year, you thought you were going to have a junior and, uh, and a senior with um, Bentel and uh, Chuku, not necessarily for the juniors for this year, seniors for next year. But you kind of replenish that size with uh, Watson and Dickens. And I think you're right. Watson will probably be the most ready of the two coming into next year. Dickens, uh, you know, from what people have told me, he's kind of viewed as a project. Maybe by his sophomore year, he'll be up to par. But uh, you know, to get size, especially in this day in college basketball, we just talked about Vermont, and you know, they're maybe they don't have the tallest front court in the world, and obviously they're con- they're uh, recruiting at a different level than PC. But to get two big kids, I think that was a huge win for uh, uh, Ed Cooley and his staff, and it speaks to volumes about maybe uh, the additions that they've made to the assistant staff of the last couple of years, Jeff Battle and uh, Ivan Thomas, and the connections they've been able to draw upon and tap into. Uh, down south, especially in the Virginia area. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely a huge point because the, these two guys are not at Providence if those guys are not on the staff. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Dickens is a Boo Williams guy, so that's that's a clear Ivan Thomas connection. Uh, he couldn't actually recruit him originally because he was not an assistant coach at the time. He was just a, uh, on the staff in a non-recruiting role. So Jeff Battle took the lead, but I mean, it's, you'd be kidding yourself if you didn't think that the connection with Thomas being on the staff didn't didn't start that relationship and bring it home. Um, I saw both of these guys play uh, in April uh, when they were in Brooklyn for the uh, various shoe events uh, that uh, I believe actually Dickens was in Brooklyn with the Nike event and uh, Watson was in, with the Under Armour event in lower Manhattan. I skipped around to both. And I, I, you know, my first impression of Dickens was 
he looks sort of like a deer with his head cut off, you know, just kind of running around. He's just he's he's massively tall, but he does he's not very he's he's skinny, but he's not small. Like Chuku, I think his legs were you know like like a pencil. They were fed. They were fed. Yeah, they were fed. Dickens really has the it seems like he has the frame. He has a wide hips. He's got broad shoulders. He's got long arms, uh, and he really has no qualms about mixing it up down low, which I think is a, is a big thing. Because for him, the first thing he's going to be ready to do is rebound and block shots, and I think that's going to be something that he's going to have to really just focus on because his offense is not really anything close to being ready. But that's, I mean, who, who, the six foot eleven guy whose offense is ready doesn't go to Providence College. He goes to Kentucky. No, he doesn't. But, uh, you know, obviously maybe, Mike, you can answer this a little bit. You saw him in the spring. You know, maybe the timing of PC getting uh, Dickens was huge because, say, if he, you know, w- you know, he decided to keep his recruiting open until, you know, the spring and the summer, I'm sure some, uh, you know, other programs would have come calling and all of a sudden uh, the Friars would have had a serious like battle on their hands to try to to try to secure him. Yeah, I think he, I wrote this the other day. I think he's poised for a, a breakout senior season at Bethel High School. I, he he looks he looks like he's he's ready to really just kind of start dominating a little bit, which is something he never really has done in high school. He's sort of just kind of been the guy who just bangs around a little bit, but I, I think on his team he's going to be ready to take on more of a a leadership role, and I think he's just going to probably get like five dunks a game and just like ruin rims all season. I think he's really poised and ready. Uh, and then just to touch on Watson a little bit, uh, obviously that was a huge commit getting him in September while he, he committed on his visit uh, at Cooley's house, which uh, had to be a sweet end to the weekend for the coaching staff. Uh, he was one of the larger stock risers this year, which is you know <laughs> breaking news to Providence fans. Providence is on a kid early, and then he blows up a little bit. But they actually landed him this time. Uh, he didn't blow up to the extent of maybe a, a Donovan Mitchell, but he kind of came into the spring as sort of a fringe uh, hundred, you know, top 125, top 150 kid, and he ended the the summer being in the top 70, top 75 in a lot of the services. So he's a guy who, again, if Providence didn't get him in September, they might not get him in this in the in the winter or, or spring next year because. People would have probably been flocking to Bishop O'Connell High School. So to lock him up, I think he's another guy. He's he's from what I've read and, and talked to people down there. It's he's another guy who kind of just all of a sudden decided, like maybe in March or April, that okay, I'm going to actually get in shape now and just start dominating people. He just sort of flipped the switch because he was always talented, but he was he, he just kind of never really seemed to have everything click, and then all of a sudden playing uh for the DC premiere this spring and summer, he, he had everything click and he was just he was just murdering people down low. And I think too, once again, getting him early where you don't let him maybe improve his stock to the point that other schools get involved. I think maybe that's maybe the more the bottle right now for Ed Cooley and his staff to get these kids really on the early and, and fight home the point that yes, you can come here, you have a chance to be a focal point or a contributor right away where you know, you get involved, and then all of a sudden, you watch all these other schools kind of like creep into the picture. Schools with maybe a little bit more pedigree, a little bit more of a, a wow or a known factor attached to them. So, I think maybe that's the recruiting model for PC to go with for right now, if uh, that makes any sense. Where you just, you know, you try to get you zero on these kids early. They might be a little. They have some luster to them, but if they really dedicate themselves like and really blow up on the AAU circuit over the spring and the summer, 
you have a chance to really all of a sudden be in a dogfight in terms of trying to land them. So I think uh, credit to uh, you know the coaching staff for kind of getting the job done early and not letting these kids really you know linger too much to the point that they have a lot of decisions to make because if my memory serves me correctly about Watson, he had a couple more visits that he had lined up to take official visits and he decided to scrap it and decide to side with Providence or verbally commit to Providence. Yeah, he had, uh, I believe he had two or three. He was supposed to go to Miami, uh, I think, uh, Maryland. Uh, yeah, he definitely had a couple other ones that he just, he said, that, that, you know, this is it. I'm, I'm going to lock it down now. So that was, that was big. And I think the other thing too, just to look forward a little bit, even beyond them is, Getting guys early now allows them to really focus on 2018, 2019 kids. And they're, the kids they're focusing on right now in those classes are the cream of the crop to, the, to a certain extent. There's kids in 2018, like a Kayvon Moore that we've talked about, top 10 kids. Yep. He just moved up to number eight this past week again. He's moving up every time I look, uh, getting on him on campus. They got the local kids, like AJ Reeves was at practice last Friday, Cole Swider, who's been there a bunch. I mean, that allows them to just kind of, Focus in on talented kids in the in the future classes, and then you got kids in 2019 already that they're looking at who are top 20, top 30, top 40 kids already in 2019. So getting those relationships established early just will only only be positive for them. And maybe even the larger point, you know, getting these two big guys like PC did for this uh, particular class, it allows you to kind of like, you know, you don't have to chase both guards and big men kind of like zero in on the guards, the, fo- the small forwards in that position. I think that, uh, you know, that's another benefit of uh, this uh, two-man class signs. Yeah, I think the, the fact that this roster is so deep right now, going into next year, and they'll pretty much all be back for the most part, assuming nothing crazy happens. So they're probably in a position where they can almost say, I just wanted to get the best available talent right now. Whatever position it is, if the kid's willing to come and he's very talented, you take him knowing that all these kids that are back next year, a lot of them will be gone the following year when he actually arrives. So, yeah, it's just they're in a really good position right now in terms of the recruiting. Um, and it's funny, you know, Ed Cooley, it's, it's sort of the old adage, your actions speak louder than words. He always says, oh, no, I don't worry about size. You know, we, we don't, we're never really worried about that. Guards win games. But here he is taking two kids who are 6'9 and 6'11, and that was clearly a focus for them. So, I mean, having the big guys is is something that's probably the hardest part of recruiting because there's a million guards out there. You can find and develop kids like Bryce Cotton or uh, even Kyron Carter to a certain extent. You can find guys even late, but um, big men are hard to come by. Yeah, it's it's huge. To get to get the bigs, I mean, because obviously they uh, the the schools every school wants a big guy. They they understand the importance of rebounding and having that. You know, that shot-blocking presence down low, even if uh, he's like a dick where he's raw and he needs to be coached up and, you know, maybe add some uh, weight to his uh, his frame. But those kids, uh, those are the ones that scooped up more and more coveted within, I believe, you know, college basketball circles. The guards, you can, you know, you're right, they're kind of a dime a dozen. You can get them and you can hopefully develop them. But to have a big kid... As part of your uh, commits, having two of them, no less. I mean, that was. It's a, I think this is a, for a class moving forward. This is a huge uh, step in the right direction for Ed Cooley and his staff. Yeah, and you pair that with with Khalif Young, and he looks very promising early on. So, I mean, that that front court next year could be a real bear for people. 
it's uh, it was a good it was a good week for uh, Cooley and his staff, and I'm sure they were finally glad to be able to talk about these guys uh, publicly, especially Dickens. I mean, it feels like he committed, you know, it feels like ten years ago. It was last February, I believe. Uh, he came that Saturday afternoon game. Might have been the Georgetown game or something yeah, it was, like that. It was, it was the alumni weekend game. Yeah, it was an alumni weekend game. He was there, and uh, you know, to get to get these guys, I just think uh, you know you can't say it enough that. Uh, to have big guys, especially, I think that's uh, a huge get. And you know, we'll just uh, we'll see what they translate to. But uh, to at least have them as uh, known commodities and know that they're officially uh, going to be Providence uh, College Friars for beginning next year, I think that has to put uh, his the staff at, at ease and not have to maybe comb the transfer wire next year or even dip into the Juku ranks uh, once again to see if they can find a big guy and just take them. Yeah. Just one quick story on the Dickens commitment. You reminded me we were talking about the, his commitment was a little weird. He, if you remember, he there was an article that you know breaking news. He commits to Providence, and then an hour later, the article's down and it's you know erased from the internet um, because I think from what we were told, his coach maybe jumped the gun uh, and or or someone jumped the gun and his coach asked the guy to take the story down. So then I think it was like less than a week later, all of a sudden. Uh, we're on the media, the biggest media call with Ed Cooley. It was his, uh, you know, eight minute block to talk. And as it's happening, I'm sitting there and he's talking and answering a question from someone. And all of a sudden, Dickens tweets out that he's committed to Providence College during the call when Cooley's speaking. He, he tweeted that out. And I asked him, I said, Coach, I know you can't talk about this, but it looks like he might have just gotten a big commitment. And he kind of was, you know. But it's just funny how that sort of that, that the recruiting world is just a, a wild and wacky world. And it is, it is. To, uh, to, have, it, to have the kids think, sign on the dotted line is what's all about. Yeah, it's. It, I think it's a huge sigh of relief because you know, I live in you know you live in a world where you know verbal commits they're nice and everything, but once these kids sign the dotted line, I think you feel a lot better about them because uh, you know verbal commit the kid can just say in September you know that's it I'm going to reopen my recruiting you know i just saw recently with a uh a local football kid who originally was going to commit to boston college and then uh, michigan all of a sudden came along and had him on campus and he next thing you know uh he kind of decommits which a word that i absolutely hate in the english vocabulary and he decides to go with uh michigan i think uh you know you never know until these kids absolutely sign on the dotted line and i think that's what the biggest takeaway is this week they're absolutely they're officially in the fold Dickens that's and uh, right. Watson. Yeah, that's that's uh, certainly positive news, and more positive news hopefully on Monday for the Friars when they'll take on Vermont, 7 p.m. at the dunk. Make sure you bring a canned good to donate. You'll get a free voucher to a future game. And uh, the season is now here, everyone. It's officially the 11th of November. Games are tonight, so everyone get excited about that. Brendan, I want to thank you for joining me again, and thanks again to Alex. And, uh, We'll see you guys on Monday. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Uh, you know, maybe we'll just close with this point. You think maybe because, uh, you know, Vermont is opening up down the road in Quinnipiac, do you think there's a chance that uh, maybe somebody, Ed Cooley sends somebody to do some live scouting? I wouldn't be surprised if maybe a, a Kevin Kerbeck or, you know, just somebody was in the stands, maybe just visiting some family in Connecticut and, and was there. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't. I don't know what the NCAA rules are about that kind of stuff or it's even – frowned upon. I remember a couple of years ago when what PC was going to go play out in uh, Ohio for the NCAA tournament and Dayton was going to play that first game and 
you know, PC was maybe going to be lined up to play them. You know, obviously, I think they made a clear fast rule that, you know, you can't scout from the stands or anything like that. Now, granted, that's the NCAA tournament. Maybe it's a little bit different when you're talking about a, a regular season game. Yeah, it could be. I think the Quinnipiac game is that there is a, an Internet stream of the video. So, I mean, it's, you know, you could just be sitting at your desk and got nothing else to do on a Saturday and maybe just check it out. I don't know. You never know. That, that's uh, that's the team that's coming into the dunk on Monday night. So, uh, you know, may not be a bad idea for uh, PC fans if you got nothing better to do, just maybe to check it out for a few minutes. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be checking the box score, undoubtedly. But um, all right, so that's that'll do it uh, for this for this episode. So thanks uh, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, we are going to be uh, talking talking to you on the other side of a game next time. So we'll have something actually to talk about in terms of on the court for real. Uh, so Monday night, 7 p.m., the game is on Fox Sports 2 for uh, for those who are not able to make it to the dunk. And, Brendan, I'll see you there. Absolutely. Looking forward to Mike. College basketball season is officially here. And it is the college basketball season. Games are about to be underway here on uh, Friday the 11th. So uh, everybody get excited for the weekend. Uh, thanks again for listening. This is the Friartown Fan Voice podcast. I want to thank uh, Brendan and Alex for both coming on, giving us a lot of good info. Uh, you can, uh, as I said, you can get Alex on Twitter at aabrami 5 and Brendan at bwmcgare03. You can follow my account uh, at PCBB1917 on Twitter and Instagram. I'll be doing a lot of Instagramming, hopefully from the dunk on Monday, so you're going to want to give us a follow over there. Uh, and uh, we do have a Facebook page, but you know, it's, Facebook's a little bit weird now. Uh, everybody's parents are on it, so I don't know how many people go on there, but we do have a page, so like it there. Uh, the podcast is on iTunes, uh, so make sure you go there and subscribe. And uh, also, uh, any of your other uh, Podomatic or any of those other uh, services, you can subscribe there and get notified automatically when a new episode comes. Uh, the season is here. We'll see everybody on Monday. Stay classy, Friartown. <laughs>